Radio Energy. Edinburgh, Napier, Radio Group. Talk, tunes, tales and talent. From Edinburgh to you. The title race in Scotland may be over, but Rangers ensure their European adventure continues as a 1-0 win in Portugal sees Steven Gerrard's men through to the last 16 of the Europa League. And in the Champions League, Man City battle back at the Bernabeu, Bayern humble Chelsea, Lyon stun Juventus, and it's honours even between Napoli and Barcelona. All that and much more on this week's Energy Extra Time. Radio Energy, the sound of students. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Extra Time. I'm Sean McGill and I'm once again joined by my lovely co-host Cameron Wanstall. How are you? I've not, this, today's the first day I've seen you in like a week. I know. I've missed you, mate. Two weeks. No. No, we, no, recorded, we recorded last week. Sorry, Come on, I'm thinking of lectures. I know, where I know, have you I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, fun to be back, isn't it? Good to be back, mm -hmm. definitely. And good to be back to talk about a Scottish team in the last 16 of European competition. What a game last night. Rangers travelled to Braga with a 3-2 advantage after a stunning comeback at Ibrox last Thursday. But I think a lot of people would have said that Braga were still favourites going into the league. We spoke last week about Braga's form recently. They continued that with another win in the league at the weekend. And they were going in. It was an advantage for Rangers, but you would be worried about them going into this game. Yeah, definitely. I think Braga were the favourites um, in the bookies' odds and in just the people's odds, definitely. Um, it was a really good 1-0. 1-0s usually aren't very exciting games, but it was a really, really good watch. And going into the game, the big news was that Nikola Katic, after a fairly dodgy performance at McDermott Park at the weekend in that 2-0 draw with St Johnston, was dropped, but for the very inexperienced George Edmondson, he's yeah, only 22 yeah. years old, yeah. he was playing League One football last season, he hasn't had much chance in a Rangers shirt, would you say he justified that decision? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, th I think Goldson stood out in the back four. I thought Goldson was brilliant, a rock at the back, but Edmondson definitely had his moments, stayed strong against a really good attacking Braga side and nullified them. It just seemed to keep it really simple. It was nothing yeah. from, from Goldson as well. I think Goldson has had his critics over his Rangers career, but there was nothing fancy. They put they put a stop to them. Mm -hmm. The Rangers defended really well. They knew that Braga passed the ball side to side, and Rangers limited them to that. And they were all well drilled. They knew their roles. Yeah. Um, the, the way the midfield worked with the fullbacks, I thought, was really interesting. Jack and um, Arfield would drop in when Tavernier and Barisic, the two full, fullbacks, went out to push yeah. the Braga wing backs. But then also the fullbacks would go narrow when either Jack or Arfield went to push the fullbacks yeah, yeah. himself. So mm -hmm. it was a really well-oiled machine. Um, Hadji and Kent would come inside. So instead of the wingers pushing the wing-backs, they came inside to block off those inside passes. Mm -hmm. And it was either the midfielders or, um, as I said, the fullbacks who would go out and push those wing-backs who were key yeah. to how Braga were trying to play. No, it was, it was a perfect game plan. You saw Gerrard say after that it worked perfectly. They basically just kept them. They let the defenders at Braga pass as much as they want. As soon as it came to the midfielders, they pressed. As soon as it got to the dangerous players, they were happy to let the defence have it because they knew nothing was going to come of it. Uh, I think even Braga's chances, a lot of them came from the wing, just a lot of crosses, and the defence handled it perfectly. And in terms of clear-cut chances, it's Rangers who stand out. You don't, there's not many chances for... I mean, yeah, Palino yeah. may have had a couple, but I don't think... In that first half, you thought it might be Rangers who are living to regret Definitely. missing their chances here because yeah. Canberra had a really good chance, mm -hmm. Ryan Kent had a really good chance, and of course... Um, there's the penalty. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Hadji on his right foot, not his left. It, was, it actually wasn't a bad penalty, I didn't think. It wasn't. He hit it with conviction. It was just a really good save. Keeper got his whole fist behind it, parried it out for a corner, perfect, not even a chance of a rebound. 
Uh, I thought Hadji was a bit unlucky because he's playing really well up until that point. He's probably their best attacker, in my opinion, because Canberry was offside every minute. And uh, Arfield was a bit more defensive, and Kent obviously missed the chance that Hadji had set up for him earlier on. Um, I thought it was really unlucky, but Rangers didn't let it affect them at all. And when that penalty was saved, you were sort of thinking, I bet Stephen Gerrard would be thinking, well. here we go again yeah, with Rangers, yeah. because there's been so many times... Um, in recent years where Rangers have been in a winning position, I know they weren't technically in this game, but it was a fantastic opportunity yeah. to really end the tie then. Mm -hmm. um, but we've got to talk about the goal. I mean, Hadji were maybe saying that um, he should have done better with that penalty, but his pass for Ryan yeah, Kent's yeah. goal oh, yeah. is mm -hmm. absolutely standard, and, ex and it's exactly why Stephen Gerrard brought the Romanian in. Yeah, definitely. It was a great ball in behind. Braga were asking for it the whole game, just high line on the halfway line. Kent runs about, it's a really good run actually, I think you actually don't notice how good the run is because of how good the pass is, um, but Hadji, it's a great turn, great ball, um, so it can really be said about a good finish as well. Yeah, and a particularly good finish for a man under pressure in Ryan yeah. Kent. I who had already missed that earlier chance. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and there's a there's a £7 million price tag on Ryan Kent's shoulders, which is a lot in Scottish football, yeah. and he was brought in to sort of take games by the scruff of the neck and break teams down because we know that teams are going to sit in against yeah, Rangers. Of it wasn't happening in this game, but we know that that's what Rangers need a lot of the time. And he hasn't really taken games by the scruff of the neck. I mean, the one that stands out to me, funny enough, it's a loss at Parkhead. Rangers were just to 10 men after um, Manelis got sent off in that game last season. And Kent just shone and, and you thought, yeah. wow. But mm -hmm. his end product hasn't been there this season. But when it really counted for Steven Gerrard and Rangers yesterday, yeah. he produced. Yeah, definitely. It was a great finish. Um, I actually feel a little bit bad for him. Also, I watched the game. The amount of times even Ali McCoyst on commentary, the amount of times he said £7 million and was sort of going, oh, you should be finishing that for seven. I think it's a bit unfair to have like a value over your head every time you set foot on the pitch. I don't think it's fair on him. It's, he didn't ask for that fee to be paid, you know? And I feel like that sort of weighs him down a bit. He is still a young player. I mean, he's still... Yeah, yeah. Is he 21, um, 22? Yeah, I think about 22. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're at a club like Rangers and you know how desperate they are for trophies and especially to stop mm -hmm. Celtic from winning 10 in the row that these sort of players for those sorts of prices do have to start yeah. performing. Um, and speaking of players who performed, as they have done many times, I thought Stephen Davis and Brian Jack were absolutely standing yeah, in that solid. midfield battle. Yeah, Just definitely. breaking up play, the right passes are right to him. It's Ryan Jack's pass, he squeezes that through to Hadji mm -hmm. for Hadji to release that beautiful yeah, through yeah. ball to Ryan Kent. And... Arfield, I thought, who's often been a more creative source for Rangers, just really stuck in and did the dirty work last night. And it begs the question, we see these fantastic European f performances. I mean, that's Braga, Porto, Feyenoord, Legia Warsaw, all ticked off yeah. um, this season. And then we see them struggle at places like McDermott Park. Do you think it is just a case of Rangers struggling to break teams down? Or is it just Rangers rising to these big occasions? A bit of both. Um, I think definitely there is a, a slight mental block. It, it's happened a couple of seasons in a row now, as we've seen. It always happens at Rugby Park as well. But I, I think it is a case of a lot of teams sitting deep, really defending, and they play better. They play harder because it is Rangers. They're, they're going to try a little bit harder against the old firm. They're not going to lay down to them. They, they want to prove a point. It's like it can turn around a whole season getting a win against Rangers. We thought we'd seen it with Hearts. It didn't work out that way, but some clubs it has happened that way in recent years. They get a good result against the top team just because they've dug deep, sat in and got a draw, even a 1-0 win, and it turns our whole season around. Celtic will be hoping to join their fiercest rivals in the latter stages of the Europa League as they welcome Copenhagen to Parkhead. 
It was a game of two halves in Denmark last week, with Edward opening the scoring before Damien Doy brought the Danish champions level. Um, we said last week that Neil Lennon would probably be happy with a draw in Denmark to win back to Parkhead, so are you confident of Celtic going through in this game? Yeah, I think I think they will, definitely. Um, Copenhagen still have uh, Victor Fischer missing out, huge player for them. Like we said last week, they, they've lost one of their key players as well in a transfer. Um, I, I think Celtic will be quite happy just trying to get a routine routine one or two nil win here. I think them seeing Rangers go through as well gives them a little bit more incentive to basically uh, get level with Rangers. Uh, I think I think they'll do it. Yeah, as I said at the top of the show, that there is very much a feeling that the title race is over. So this mm -hmm. would be a little victory for yeah, Rangers yeah, to say, definitely. well, we were in the last sixteen in the Europa League, where are you? Yeah. But I feel like there is a immense sense of confidence. Rightly so in the Celtic team because of their performances after the winter break, but do you think there could be a slight concern that complacency might step in for this game? I mean, it was close last week, but they were probably the better team, and then yeah. they're very much the favourites going into this game at Parkhead. Would you be worried about that at all, or do you think Neil Lennon will have them drilled? I, I think Neil Lennon will have them drilled. He said that midweek, I'm sure, in a press conference. He said that there's no complacency here. Um, I think they do have Christie suspended, and they've got one or two injuries. I think in Sham might be a doubt. But I, I I just think the players will turn up. They'll get the result like they have again, like they did against Lazio in the group stage. Good results, and they'll see this one out and be into the last 16 for sure. So obviously, as we record, this is before I'm on Thursday afternoon, the bit before Celtic's game. Um, so we're not quite sure who will obviously feature in the Celtic lineup. Brown and Forrest are back for Celtic. Christie suspended and and Cham's still out. That's interesting part for me, the fact that Christie and Cham both. Won't be available for this game threats, yeah. because if they keep the three-five-two, which we'd expect them to do, Griffiths and Edward are both available for this game. Who will fill that number ten role? Is it time for Tim? Um, sorry, Tom Rogic to shine maybe, because maybe. he's has he hasn't featured much under Neil Lennon. Um, I, I think that's a reasonable shout. I, I don't know who else could really gap fill in there. Um, Mikey Johnson's out injured. I wouldn't be putting him in there anyway. Who else could you put in there? Sorry, maybe Callum McGregor? Could but then who do you put in his shape. spot? I mean, yeah, yeah, you could do... I really doubt they'll do anything drastic, like a five at the back, but maybe a four... four, three, three, maybe? Sort of use the wingers a bit more? But then you wouldn't get Griffiths and Edwards starting together, so... No, I think they'll just maybe chuck Tom Rogic in there. And just as you did last week, do you want to take us through some of the um, other Europa League fixtures for the British teams. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got Manchester United hosting Club Bruges. That ended a 1-1 stalemate last week in Belgium. Um, Scott McTominay is back. Of course, Rashford and Pogba still out long term. Club Bruges missing their top goal scorer and their captain through injury. And their main centre-back, Eder Belanta, has been suspended. Scott McTominay being back is obviously massive. I mean, and it's fantastic from a Scotland perspective as well. Yeah. I mean, he was outstanding that first half of the season, and it's great that he'll hopefully be available for yeah, the those crucial playoff yeah, games definitely. at the end of um, next month. Same going for, we might mention later, John McGinn. John McGinn, well. hoping, we're praying he'll be back because yeah. he's been by far Scotland's best player recently. Yeah, 100%. Um, but we said last week, and uh, we looked at again, that um, Club Rouge aren't mugs, and they won't, that no. United will have to perform well mm. at Old Trafford uh, later tonight to. To beat them. Yeah, I think I think Manchester United are lucky they've lost that spine. The, the top goal scorer, the captain, and their main centre back. That's three of their biggest players all out. And I think United will put out a relatively strong team. I don't think McTominay will start, but if he has a doubt, he'll maybe come off the bench. They'll probably have Romero stirring goals. I, I think they'll have a strong enough team that can dispose of Club Rouge for sure. Um, the next game is Arsenal at home to Olympiacos. Arsenal won the first leg 1 0 in Greece. 
Uh, Saka's likely starting again at left back with Tierney and Kolasinac still injured. Guendouzi's back in and Pablo Mari, the new signing from Fluminense, he may start at centre back for his debut. Um, Ruben Semedo is the only player out for Olympiacos, so I'm thinking a routine Arsenal win here, just finish the tie. Uh, and last but not least, the early kickoff, which we'll probably be playing as we get this uploaded, is Espanyol hosting Wolves. Wolves won 4-0 in Wolverhampton last time at the Molyneux last week. Espanyol, I think they know that they're out of this. They need to focus on the league sitting bottom of La Liga somehow. Wolves missed Johnny, but Nuno is stating that he will play his, not his strongest team, but he's taken the strongest possible squad with him. So I wouldn't expect to see too many changes there. I think they'll be looking to just get a normal 1-0 win. I'm not having us talk about that game last week without talking about Ruben Nevis' goal. I mean, he's done it countless times yeah. in his career, but it's they still don't get any oh, less stunning. I mean, it's an absolutely stunning volley from the edge of the box. Well, not even the edge of the box, further out than that. And, you know, the first time I watched it, I thought it bounced in front of the keeper. I, I sort of just caught it at a glance and thought, ah, nice goal. And then I watched it again, it hits the back and then it's... Oh, how can you hit the ball that sweet so many times? What at a professional level as well. Unbelievable. That's all for the Europa League. We'll move on to discussing an eventful week in the Champions League after this. Radio Energy, the sound of students. Well, the big game of this week coming into the Champions League, everyone had their eyes on Real Madrid versus Manchester City. And it was a game that started quite strangely, didn't really pick up until the last sort of half an hour. But we've seen Man City come away with a 2-1 win at the Bernabeu. Yeah. Huge. What were your thoughts at the start of that game, sort of the first half? Because it was quite a weird contest, wasn't it? Boredom, maybe. It was <laughs> a lot of passing around the back. It was big teams trying to play a big team style. It was just a little bit drab. There was a few chances. Uh, the one Benzema, the header, rebounded, Vinicius fell over. That could have changed the whole game. That should have been a goal. What a save from Ederson that was. Oh, yeah, a great save for the header, but it was terrible from Vinicius Jr., um, who did pick up at least in the second half. But I think City had a few chances as well. Um, the start of that game, what really struck you about City was the shape. I mean, it was so oh yeah. strange. Uh, yeah. I mean, Guardiola's done this in big games. He's been accused of overthinking it and changing things that he didn't need to change. Um, but in this one, I mean, we've come to know City playing 4-3-3 under Pep Guardiola, but it was a kind of a 4-2-3-1, but Kevin De Bruyne was the furthest forward, yeah. and Bernardo Silva was the second striker, and Jesus, who usually features through the middle, was out wide left and then it was Rian Mahrez wide right, mm -hmm. good to one Rodri sitting. It was strange and it took a while to get used to but yeah. you could see what City were trying to try and frustrate them. The commentators were criticising the fact that De Bruyne wasn't in that engine, engine room and sort of dictating the play but I don't think that was Pep Guardiola's intention. He didn't, no. uh, unlike his philosophy, he didn't want to dictate the play, he mm -hmm. went to frustrate Real Madrid, yeah. catch him on the counter. but. It didn't play out, pan out that way because it was Real who took the lead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a weird formation. I even saw, I saw it was a bit of a, just a plain four four two because you saw Jesus dropping really deep. It was like asymmetrical mm. with Mares further up. Uh, like you said, De Bruyne up top with Bernardo Silva, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, a really big choice from him, a big choice that's blown up in his face in the past, but it, it actually did work for sixty minutes. And then a mistake at the back. I think it was Otamendi, and it was Kyle Walker had a good game. It's kind of his fault not cleaving the ball. I think it falls at Otamendi's feet, this one. Um, Vinicius brought it back. East Coast slips it past the keeper. Good goal. Yeah, and then City were managing the game so well, and then one mistake it was punished by Real Madrid, yeah. and they've done that so many times, especially in the Champions League under Zinedine Zidane. I mean, 
me and my friends were talking about last night. I mean, if City knock Real Madrid out, that's the first time that Zidane's lost a Champions League knockout yeah. game. He's yeah, every yeah. time he Zidane's been a manager yeah. in the Champions League, he's won the he's whole competition. <laughs> so it could be a really big scalp for City, and the way they got to in that position is it was against the run away run of play because after Real Madrid scored, they started to play a lot better. Yeah, but De Bruyne has nicked in, uh, whipped in a a vicious cross, and Jesus is headed it in. Is it a push on the back of Sergio Ramos? No, not for me. Definitely not. It, it, a big man like Ramos. I don't like the idea that small people can't push over the big people in football. <laughs> That's really unfair. But Ramos flails as soon as he... It's a total flop as soon as the arm goes on the back. And it's... I think he's already got the ball. The ball's practically in the back of the net by the time he hits the deck. I think it's just a good goal. Courtois maybe could have done better, but I, I think he expected Ramos to win the header, to be honest. Um, no, a, a good header from Jesus, who's a bit low in confidence recently. And we spoke about it, this Real Madrid side have been so good at seeing games out and winning against pressure under pressure um, in these last few years, particularly the Champions League. But they've just made the wrong decision at the wrong time, and Danny Carvajal's made a really oh. silly challenge on Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling touched the ball out of play. Yeah. And it, it it even if he was going to catch it, it was just at the byline. His um, demonstrations to the referee was that the ball was already out of play. That's what he was trying to say, like, it isn't a penalty. He still flattened them. He had a poor game as it was. I think he's like Marcelo now, both of them getting on a bit. Both world-class right-backs and full uh, left-backs in their prime, but I think Real really needs to start bringing maybe. another Ferland Mendy for the right-back, maybe. Exactly, yeah. um, as they have with um, Marcelo and Mendy. Mm -hmm. and then, but then you saw Man City get a penalty, and you're like, well, it's Man City hit a penalty, which has yeah. not gone very well this season. Mm -hmm. I mean, They've missed their last How? four penalties with four different takers. How amazing would it have been if Ederson had run up and took <laughs> it at that. the bear in the boat? Oh, oh, oh no. that would be amazing. I think, uh, being serious, he just he does need to do it in the Premier League. because yeah. there's it's the, amazing. They're already top four, and we don't know what's going to happen with the Champions yeah, League band. Forget yeah. about that. So, City here, and they've lost the league. Liverpool are going to win mm. at the Premier League. So, there's nothing to play for. So, why not just stick two defenders back on the foot? Exactly. Pep Guardiola said that, Ederson's the best penalty taker at the club. Mm -hmm. So, prove it. Have him take a penalty yeah. in the Premier League. You look at, you look at like the, the South American goalkeepers that are famous for goal scoring. The biggest example, obviously, Rajivio Senni. He takes free kicks, or he did take free kicks, and he just knocked them in. If he's good at it, you won't need to worry, because he won't miss them. That's what I said, like, uh, but what happens on the counter? Well, if you're, if you're so confident he's going to score, then that's not a problem. Exactly. So there's plenty of time to celebrate. Exactly. So, yeah. Pep needs to grow up, let him take it. <laughs> um, but, um, we don't have to worry about them missing penalties because Kevin De Bruyne did score that yeah. um, penalty. Uh, and Real Madrid's misery was compounded later on as uh, Ramos is sent off. Uh, some people saw this as a harsh one. How do you feel about it? Uh, soft but fair. Soft but fair. I don't think there was much contact. But at the end of the day, if I was Jesus, I would also be going down. I'd still feel like I'd been impeded. I would still feel that's a red card. I'd go down. I have no, no complaints about it. Straight red. The 26th red card oh, of Sergio oh, Ramos's. Yeah. Real Madrid career. Unbelievable. Um, that's a, a very big number, but it was the first win for Manchester City ever against Real Madrid mm. in the club's history. Yeah. And what's really interesting about this is, and it's a big scout for City, and they're very much the favourites to go through now, what's going to happen if they go on a proper run in this Champions League? Oh, yeah. Because UEFA will be desperate for City to get knocked out, because the question just arises that if City get through, can you... The, will the defending champions not be in the competition next year? Yeah, sure. That's a really tough it, one for UEFA to deal with. It just with. doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, in all honesty, if they're going to kick a team out of the competition, I think this is too drastic. But 
in reality, what should happen is they should be kicked out of the current competition, replaced by the team that finished third in their group, fourth in the group goes to Europa League. That's what should have happened. But they, uh, they were strict as it is. I'm not saying they should have been stricter, but it just it does. It throws up all these little issues that you think, what's going to happen there? And what I think is really interesting from a Manchester City perspective is if they were to win this Champions League and then be disqualified from the next two, is their first ever Champions League, which we know has been desperately wanted, not only by Pep Guardiola, but by the owners since they pumped yeah. that money in um, however many years ago, is that Champions League win, the first in the club's history, tainted? Because you go, well, they did win that Champions League, but they've been spending the last five years building a team unfairly, yeah. unlegally in terms of um, UEFA re regulations. Yeah, I think that's definitely how history will look back on it. You look at it, was it Marseille in the 90s? They won it. They won it, they got the trophy, they got to keep it, but it was found out they'd done it by bribing referees and stuff, and it, it, it's tainted it. They're not seen as real champions of the Champions League. I think that's definitely the case, but their fans will argue otherwise, but I think everyone else will be saying, like, no way, you've won that unfairly. You didn't even get to try and um, hold it next season. It's definitely tainted. We're getting a bit ahead of ourselves talking about winning the Champions Wait League and in finals and stuff yeah. like that, but two teams who have contested a very famous Champions League final before, mm -hmm. um, Chelsea and Bayern Munich back in 2012, and then the sides met again um, at Stamford Bridge this time round. And as I said at the top of the show, Bayern humbled Chelsea in this game. Yeah, yeah, big time. It was still 0-0 at half-time, which was a shot, but you could tell cracks were starting to show. A lot of the senior players at Chelsea were struggling. Um, Chelsea's game plan was really just to pounce on mistakes. I found that every Chelsea attack just happened because... They, a loose ball from Bayern, a loose touch, they'd win the ball, go forward and didn't take their chances. Whereas Bayern looked like they were just getting unlucky with their chances and in the second half that showed by the 54th minute. Nabry had two goals, both assisted by Lewandowski. Carbon copies of each other. Easy win. And Nabry's a funny story here, I mean a hat-trick against um, Tottenham mm -hmm. early in the season and then these two goals here against um, against Chelsea and so he's obviously got a knack for performing in London, something that Arsenal didn't see when yeah, he was an yeah, Arsenal yeah, player yeah, because yeah. they've sold him on for, I think it was three or four million pounds. Oh really? I didn't know it was that. Was I, I thought they got a good price for him. I didn't know I that. I think it was pretty, uh, pretty, um, a pretty small fee mm -hmm. and n he keeps performing these games and I think Nabry, not specifically Nabry, but the difference between these two sides, we know that this is a, a naive Chelsea team and um, they're young and they're still growing, they're still learning and that's fair enough. But the real difference is the cutting edge between the two teams. I mean, uh, you look, if you look at the players Bayern Munich have got, Lewandowski, Müller, Nabry, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Kingsley Coma, and then on the on the bench are not even featuring with Ivan Perisic and Philippe Coutinho. Yeah, yeah. These are fantastic world oh, yeah. class. They'll cut teams apart. Yeah. And if you're you're looking across it, on the other side of the pitch, it's Olivier Giroud, and we know he's only there because of the injury problems with um, Tammy Abraham, but as much as he is a fantastic player and I've loved watching him the past few years not, isn't going to quite give you that cutting edge Ross Barkley, Mason Bound, not yeah. quite there yet or mm -hmm. Barkley's never really reached that potential yeah. and then the other threats were trying to come from the, from the wing backs Rhys James who I think has been a good player uh, this just, season just not just that level wasn't, yeah. Yeah, he's, he wasn't ready to play against Bayern Munich yeah. Marcus Alonso, inconsistent sort of player got sent off as well exactly yeah. Yeah. and then what I wanted to ask you about is is that cutting edge that I'm talking about there, is that a problem for Chelsea going forward? I mean, even if you think to next season and everyone's fit, Chelsea's ideal starting front four is probably something along the lines of Pulisic on the left, Ziyech on the right, 
and Mason Mount and behind Tammy Abraham, while that might be good and exciting, yeah. is it a front four that's going to take Chelsea back into the top level of the Premier League? Um, no, I don't think so. You look at how good Liverpool and Man City are. You look at even Leicester. Now, Leicester have some players in their front four that you wouldn't think are a Champions League level. Like Iose Perez was at Newcastle recently. But they manage it because of their style of play. I just don't think Chelsea have that cutting edge. I definitely feel like Ziyech and Pulisic can do business. Tammy Abraham, with another season, I think could be brilliant. Top goal scorer. Not top goal scorer in the league, but for Chelsea, certainly. I think Mason Mount maybe needs to be brought in a little bit slower. I think he got chucked in at the deep end and was loved at the start of the season. Then all of a sudden, he's of course dropped off, as you would. You're not going to get any higher than that. He's hit his peak already this season and the fans are turning on him. And I think maybe we just need to see another attacking mid at Chelsea, a world-class attacking mid that can take them to Champions League contention again. And we're talking about prospects who are or aren't performing there. One who certainly did um, on Tuesday night, Alfonso Davis, yep. was mm -hmm. absolutely Brilliant. outstanding. He, he got the assist, didn't he? For yeah, for Lewandowski's yeah. goal, the Canadian left-back who um, is a, a Liberian refugee, fled mm -hmm. the country when, when he was five. He's a fantastic story, I really recommend you. Um, read stuff about him because he's had a really interesting life and yeah. he's going to have a fantastic football oh, yeah, career definitely. because based on the performance at Stamford Bridge he is ready for the, the big the time. Top level. Yeah definitely, I think it's, it's what we've seen a lot of recently of these sort of players coming from nowhere and just bursting onto the scene and Byron's the perfect team for him. You, you've said names are Kingsley Coleman, Serge Nabry, that's all players that he just learns from and they're still young enough as well but they seem experienced compared to him, that's how good this guy is. He's a really really good youth prospect, can go all the way. Next we'll go to the Stadio Sao Paulo where on Tuesday night Napoli and Barcelona drew one goal apiece. What did you make of this game? There was no Koulibaly for um, Napoli who's one of the most coveted centre-halves in the world. We know that um, Barcelona have had their injury issues. What did you make of this tie? I thought it was quite a, it's quite a normal game. I, I think it goes a little bit under the radar because it's two top teams. Uh, it's like Gattuso said afterwards, he was disappointed with the away goal that they conceded. I think that says everything. I think Napoli were just hoping to get a clean sheet. I don't think they cared if they scored or not. I think they just wanted a clean sheet and he's clearly willing to go into the battle on the next leg. Um, Merton's goal, brilliant. Just unbelievable. Griezmann's goal, quite tidy as well. Uh, because the main talking point, I think, was Vidal's red. Vidal, it was just so stupid. Two, red two yellow cards, immediate succession for a poor tackle and then starting a fight afterwards and descent. They were the main talking points, really. I think it was a game that was just a few key highlights. Something that I took from the game was obviously Messi really didn't perform um, to his best, but does that beg the question, are this, is this Barcelona side too reliant on Lionel Messi? And I know that it's hard not to reliant on yeah. perhaps the greatest footballer of all time, but I mean, last week in the league against Eibar, Messi scored four goals, including a first-half hat-trick, yeah. and they win 5-0. Mm -hmm. Messi doesn't have his best game here, and I know there's yeah. a difference in quality between Napoli and Eibar, mm -hmm. but they can't, they can't yeah. see off Napoli. I think they were probably quite lucky that Griezmann stepped up to the plate for a change instead of Messi. Yeah, definitely. I think they're a wee bit too reliant. They're sitting, are they two points ahead of Real Madrid in the league just now? Yeah. Um, I just think without Messi, they wouldn't even be close to that. I think they'd be way behind Real Madrid, who are still themselves having a shaky season. I think they'd be having a more season like Atletico are having in the league if it wasn't for Lionel Messi. If he gets injured next few weeks, they could be in real, real trouble. And we'll quickly round up um, Leon versus Juventus. This is a quite a controversial one because Leon's goal, um, Uar uh, delivers and it's finished by Tosa. 
this happened when Matthias Delet was off the pitch. Oh yeah, when the, was it the head injury? The head yeah. injury. Mm. Alexandro falls on top of him and he's mm-hmm. blood streaming down yeah, the right hand yeah. side of his of his face. It looked a sore one, but Leon won't care at all, will they? No, no. Especially, I think it's a poor argument if anyone's saying that's at fault because it was his own man that stood on his head. You can't really blame any Leon players, for example. Uh, I thought it was a really good finish. I know it helped his shin. Can't help his shin pads right into the top corner. Caught Chesney still, but still a good finish. He got there, good positioning. Uh, I think the main main points of that game were how poor Juve were. It was Leon's first ever win against them, and they played a few times. And uh, zero shots on target. Everything was coming from the wide areas. A lot of passing around the back. I know you've got more to say on this, but I just think that was Sarri at his worst. Yeah, I just wonder about the state of this um, Juventus midfield. I don't think that... Um, Rabio, Bentacur and Pjanic is a Champions League winning midfield um, but what I wanted to talk about with, with this game is we ran a poll on the um, Energy Extra Time Twitter mm-hmm. at Energy Extra Time if you've not followed that already please do um, and 100% of people who voted in that poll thought that Juventus were going to get through this yeah. tie and I know they've still got to travel to Trin next week but Leon are in a fantastic position to do that now yeah definitely I voted in that poll and I voted Juve after it would be an easy 2-3-0 win but I think I was probably underestimating Leon. again I think it was mainly how bad Juve were but Leon do have an exciting team from the most sought after trophy in club football to the oldest next up we look ahead to the Scottish Cup quarter final weekend Radio Energy, the sound of students. We'll start on Friday night as Inverness Cali Thistle go to Easter Road to take on Hibs. Hibs route to the final, the uh, sorry, the quarter final, not quite there yet. I'm sure you're, <laughs> think, you're hoping they're not there at all. Um, the two will draw against Undinated at Tanadice and then they beat them 4 2 at the replay. And then in the last round, it was a 4 1 win over BSC Glasgow, that potential banana skin there. Uh, Inverness, they beat uh, Alawa 3-2 away in the fourth round and then pulled off the shock of the fifth round as they beat uh, Livingston mm-hmm. and they're the only team out of the top flight left in the competition. A certain Mr Cameron Monster will be there on Friday night for Energy Sports so keep an eye on all the socials uh, to see his match report. We know John Robertson will be keen to beat um, Hibs, he's in the Cali dugout. Mm-hmm. How do you see this one going? Uh, I think... I think Hibs will avoid this one just like they did BSC Glasgow. No, it's a much bigger team, a professional team. But I think even with Newell and Marlon both missing out, they're playmakers. I think this is the kind of game where you can do without them. You can either supplement someone in or play a bit more box-to-box. I think Inverness's best chance really is sit deep, counter-attack, hope to snag a lucky goal. I'd say set-pieces, but Hibs are quite good at attacking set-pieces. So hopefully Jack Ross has got them defending set-pieces well as well. Could be a really exciting game uh, for a Friday night on TV. Um, yeah, I think it should be a Hibs win. But don't be worried if you miss it on TV, because you can just read Cameron exactly. Monster's match report An after. amazing report, definitely. <laughs> and it would be silly of us today, of all days, not to talk about um, Inverness's James Keaton's. It's just a matter of oh, hours ago yeah. um, for us as we record. Um, his ban was overturned, so he can now play in the Tunnock's Caramel Wafer Challenge Cup final. It's been an absolute farce. My, my blood is boiling. I, I cannot believe it. Honestly, the SFA just admitted they didn't even review the footage, or they didn't review all the footage. They looked at one angle, perhaps, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't look at any angles and just decided, yeah, OK, he's banned for a cup final, you know. Probably what he's been dreaming of, challenge cup for caramel wafer, but he, at least it's been overturned now. It has finally been overturned. Hearts take on Rangers at Tynecastle at half five. That game's on Premier Sports. 
Hearts beat uh, Airdrie 5-0 in the fourth round at Tynecastle, and then it was a hard-fought victory over uh, Falkirk over there in the last round. Rangers have had it pretty easy as well, a 2-0 win against Stranraer at Ibrox, and then uh, Hamlet made it different for them in la difficult for them in the last round, but they ended up 4-1 ended up winners. Let's first approach this game from a Hearts perspective. This is a fixture that has given... Uh, that gave Daniel Stendhal his first and only yeah. league win as Hearts manager. And Stendhal said this week he aims to win the cup, and it could be a much-needed source of positivity yeah. uh, uh, in light of the sort of abysmal league form that Hearts have suffered. Yeah, definitely. Since the 2-1 win, they've, the form's been awful for Hearts. They've been really poor, and obviously their last game against St Mirren in the league, your game of the week pick last week, was went, it didn't even happen. <laughs> was postponed because of the pick. weather. Brilliant in Paisley, brilliant weather. Um, so they've had a really long break, Hart. So I wonder how much they've actually trained and prepared for this. Because Stendhal clearly thinks when we stay up, he's thinking when they stay up, not if they stay up. They want Europa League football next season. That's what he's looking at, really positive. But it's a big ask, a really big ask. And they're playing a team that will also prioritise this cup heavily. Of course, they know they're still in Europe. But after losing that League Cup final the way they did to Celtic, they will really be looking to finally take a trophy off them. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to say that as well, that as, as much as we've praised Rangers in Europe this season, you would have to think that the Scottish Cup is their last realistic chance of yeah. silverware this season. Mm -hmm. um, it would be a, take a massive effort to um, get much further in the Europa League and then we know that the title's sort of slipping away from them slowly. Yeah, yeah. So they'll be really keen uh, to get as far as they can in the Scottish Cup. Mm -hmm. And they'll be keen to put hearts down as well. I mean, after yeah. um, that loss that a lot of people said was the start of the end of Rangers' mm -hmm. title race. It's interesting to talk about this game from a tactical point of view as well. Um, we know that Hearts have been criticised and caught out quite a lot recently for that high line. And as we saw in Portugal um, last night, Wednesday night, Rangers can and will exploit a mm. high line and Hadji will find willing runners in yeah, Kent yeah. and then Morelos will be back for this game. Definitely. Um, I can see it'll be worse because Morelos is back for Canberra. And as I said before, Canberra was caught, caught offside a lot of time. Oh, but Morelos is really good at arching yeah, the runs. He's, he's, he is the perfect player for that. And Hearts, obviously, I think they do have their usual back four. I don't know about if Hickey's back fit or whatever. But um, with Boyce back up top, they're still missing Sibic and Langer. They're two holding centre mid options with Peter Harbin still out injured as well with that hernia. As I should say, Langer's suspended. Um, but I think. If Rangers, if they can just get in that area behind the midfield and just play short little um, diagonal balls in behind, Morelos will have a field there. It'll be interesting to see if Stendhal does change his tactics there, but we'll move on to St Mirren Park even later on Saturday night, 7.20 kick-off on this one's on BBC Scotland. St Mirren, 3-0 win over Broxburn and then those uh, two draws with Motherwell that ended in a penalty win for the Buddies and then Aberdeen. They had a 1-0 win over Dumbarton at Pataudry and then in the fifth round that stunning um, 4-3 win over Kilmarnock after the extra time. There's been a winner piece and a draw between the sides this season. Simmons are starting to look quite good. Aberdeen up and down yeah. recently. Mm. What's your thoughts going into this one? I'm actually, this is a wild, wild guess, but I'm actually going to put my money on St Mirren. I actually think they have more of a chance than Aberdeen. Aberdeen's league form, I know this is a cup, but their league form, they've won one of their last seven, which is just terrible. It's really, really, really poor. Um, they were quite lucky, some would say, to beat Kilmarnock in the last round. A bit of a collapse from them. McInnes is under pressure. They're still not sure which striker to start up top. Well, St Mirren are just playing football. They're all of a sudden going from one of the most boring teams in the league to probably one of the most entertaining, even if it's not the most beautiful football. They're still really entertaining games, starting to score goals with Abika and Dermaz, who scored in that 2-1 league win against Motherwell midweek. 
A um, really good win for St Mirren because that one. puts them now four points off um, 11th and uh, the, the play really good playoff space and six off Hearts and mm. that they've still got a game in hand over Aki's as well so they could really pull yeah. away from those relegation spots. Mm -hmm. Derek McKenna said that um, after the 2-1 two, two loss to Ross County last weekend that um, they may, the, the loss might have been down to fatigue after those yeah, yeah. Um, that drilling game against Kilmarnock and speaking of fatigue do you think that might set in for Celtic as they take on St Johnston at uh, McDermott on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. I've actually wrote down that uh, it's probably more chance for sort of the fringe players to come in. Celtic won't be wanting to let up the Scottish Cup. We know how much they love the treble. They won't want Rangers having a chance of getting it. I think Hibs as well still have a really good chance of it as well. Uh, I think coming off of that Europa tie against Copenhagen, they will be tired. I think they'll have a really tough game against Copenhagen. And yeah, fatigue could set in. St Johnston is the sort of team that can just sit back allow waves of pressure to come at them and then just hit them when their players are when their legs are going, you know. It's the first time Celtic take on top flight opposition in this year's Scottish Cup. They had a two one one over Partick at Fur Hill and then three 0 over Clyde at Broadwood in the last in the last round. Saints had a really impressive impressive victory over Rangers last week. Do you think they can do it again against the other side of the old firm? Possibly. Yeah, if Celtic don't get this right, I expect Celtic to go out against Copenhagen tonight as we record and win the game. But I think the St Johnston game could be a slip up. I think they'll either have an issue, maybe go to a replay or a slight one nil loss, or they'll go out and they'll perform. But it's going to go either way. Really tough one to call. We'll move on now to look ahead to the weekend in England and, of course, give you our games of the weekend. Radio Energy. The sound of students. Big game in England. It's not a Premier League game. It's the final of the yes. League Cup at Wembley. Aston Villa take on Manchester City. City are the obvious favourites in this game. and They've won three of the last four League Cups. Villa's last major trophy was in 1986. Also, the League Cup. Can you see an upset here, Cameron? Don't think so. As much as Villa have been really impressive on the route to the final, uh, they beat Brighton, Wolves, and Leicester as alongside the Liverpool B team five 0 I think that's. I don't think that counts. Whereas City have eased past Preston, North End, beat a really poor Southampton team at the time, and lost one of their semi-final legs to Manchester United. But I still see City just easing this one. Of course, Laporte picked up an injury in that Champions League game we were talking about against Real Madrid, but Fernandinho came on was one of the best players in the park. Blocked a brilliant Real, uh, Sergio Ramos chance. So do you not think that's that big a blow, Laporte? Because Laporte, I think a lot of people have, it's been obvious this season that how key he is to that defence. I think in this game we can I afford think, to... I think long term it's an issue. Long term it's a big issue, but when it comes to the big occasion, I don't think there's anything wrong with Fernandinho, even if he's beside Stones and Otamendi, who have, of course, been shaky in the past, or if they go with youth, if they play someone like Garcia, unlikely but possible. Um, I think Fernandinho at the back is a top, top rock footballer, and um, I don't think it'll be too much of an issue, especially against a team like Villa. And, but the interesting thing with Villa, I mean, uh, as good as that run is said, it is a poor run of form they're on in the, yeah. in the, um, in the Premier League. Dean Smith said after the loss at St Mary's last three, the third loss on the bounce, that some players have played their way out of this cup final. So you'd yeah. expect them to have them in the team and they've been so poor, especially in that game, that they're now going to miss out. Dean Smith has often been seen as a sort of nice guy. Um, he's an Aston Villa fan, but that was mm -hmm. the first time he's got really, really annoyed, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Uh, there was a, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting who it was, but there was an Aston Villa player who came out and said that is the angriest he's been while he's been at the club. So it just shows he really did lose his temper with them. 
Um, I think a few main players, El Ghazi, who went off with barely a knock and refused to come back on. I think he's played as well with the team for Trezeguet, who of course scored that last minute winner in the semis against Leicester. Uh, I think in goals, I'm not sure what your thoughts on this are, but Nyland or Reina, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm quite torn between who starts it. Um, I watched both of those, um, the legs of that League Cup semi-final against Aston Villa, and Nyland was outstanding in both of them. Yeah. So I think it's only fair to give him a start in this game. I mean, uh, Pepe Reina, while he's been good, I don't think he's been absolutely outstanding yeah. in the in the Villa sticks recently, so why not give it to Nyland, yeah, who's um, played in this competition? I agree, to be honest, it's a tough one, but even you look at Reyna's final track record, I'm not sure how many he played in, in Italy or whatever, but with Liverpool, he's always been a little bit shaky on the biggest occasions of them all. Coming up against a side like City, he might as well go in Ireland to prove it in the semis that he can do the job. And the worrying thing about Villa as well is just how reliant they are on Jack Grealish. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. he is an outstanding player. I think I, I think I was guilty of underrating him coming into... Um, this league campaign, I just don't. Uh, I knew that he was a good player, but I didn't mm. think he would take the Premier League, like, um, yeah, yeah. the Premier League, um, take to the Premier League so well. But it's three trips to Wembley in three years for Aston Villa, mm. two playoff finals, and now this League Cup final. Yeah. So they're used to the big occasion. What they're going to have to do to to pull off this a famous victory? Yeah, I think they're going to have to play to their strengths. I think they can't go out and play like they usually do in the Premier League. There'd be no point. You might as well sit in deep. Not even sit in deep, but just just nullify Man City completely. Play it to Grealish, of course. We know we've not got players like John McGinn in their team, so he really does have to lead the line. Um, I believe they've got one of their strikers missing, but I think their main choice is still available. Get the ball to him. Get a, get a single goal and just try and hold on, really. I think that's all they can do. They'll have a good fan support. They'll have really good fans. City... Famously, not so much, but I think the atmosphere will be a good atmosphere at Wembley on Sunday. City win for you? For? City win for you? City win Sunday. for me. City win, probably. But I would I would quite happily see Villa win it as well. I quite enjoy that. I'm going 2-1 Villa. Oh, we'll move on to the Premier League. The two big games of the weekend take place on Sunday. Everton take on Manchester United and Wolves travel to Tottenham, all in pursuit of European spots. We'll start at Goodison Park. Bruno Fernandes has given United a real lift since he came in and he um, shone in that win over Watford last weekend. Did Everton have the quality to stop him? Because I think you look at Everton's mid centre midfield options, Delph, Sigurdsson, Davis, Schneiderlin, all a bit past it or not just quite yeah. there. Can they stop uh, the fantastic Bruno Fernandes? I don't think so, but as long as Bruno Fernandes does play in an attacking role, I would quite like to see McTominay back so he can play that defensive role. Remember on his debut, Fernandez dropped quite deep. I'd like to see McTominay play that role. Fernandez higher up like he was against Watford. I think, yeah, I think it'd be a bit too much trouble. Everton are playing really well, to be fair, recently. Ancelotti's going and playing some good football. They've rolled up the table. They're sitting 11th now, but they have been higher in that congested sort of area of the league table. But uh, I think Man United, not even just Fernandez, but I think a few of them on, as a whole, you know, they're starting to maybe turn a corner. Ole's starting to maybe win some big games. Be quite interesting to see how far they can push for Europe this season. And as I said, two other teams who are really looking to get into Europe, Spurs and Wolves, will take a, uh, take on each other later on in the day. Spurs are off the back of two big losses against Leipzig and Chelsea, and they have improved under Jose Mourinho. I mean, the league position tells you that, and the points of a mass tells you that, but something just doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they're still struggling to adapt. To be honest, I think Poch's football is so different. They're just. It's not entirely clicked. Of course, they have had one or two major injuries, as we talked about last week, Kane and Son, huge issues, but 
I do see them actually bouncing back this game. I think Wolves are going out to play Espanyol with a really strong team. I think they'll be quite tired coming back from a Thursday night game. Whereas Tottenham have had an extra two days rest in them after playing on Tuesday. And the, things like that can make a big difference. And I think Mourinho will just have them drilled, have them playing really well. They'll really shut down Wolves' brilliant attack. And I think they'll just nick a wee, a one-goal win. And while we're all questioning Mourinho, can he still do it at a big club? Does he still have... Um, the abilities to be a top-level manager, his Portuguese counterpart in um, Nuno mm -hmm. just is going from strength to strength and yeah, building yeah. his uh, reputation in the media and in the eyes of a lot of fans. And his side can leapfrog Spurs with a win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Since their promotion in 2018, it, Wolves haven't lost in London. Really? They've never lost a game in London. And think about the teams are coming against Arsenal, yeah, Chelsea, yeah, Tottenham, huge. and then tough games against Crystal Palace, West Ham, Fulham will be included in that as well. Do you think Wolves come out this one unscathed as well? Uh, I, I would, I'd, for the reasons I've just said, I think Tottenham do have a good chance, but I'm not underestimating Wolves at all. I, I'm purely putting it down to maybe fitness, a bit of fatigue, a bit of jet lag. But um, nowadays it's not as important professionally, but it still plays a part. I think, honestly, if I had to put money on it, I'd put a draw. Uh, I would put a, a score draw. But if I had to pick a team, I would pick Tottenham. I just have a feeling, a gut feeling that they'll come out and there'll be a Mourinho tactical masterclass once again. So we'll move on to our favourite segment of the show where we discuss our games of the weekend and then hope and pray that they actually happen. Yes. So you don't look like a pure dafty. <laughs> so please give us your game of the weekend. Oh, my one, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anyone. Hearts Rangers, Scottish Cup quarterfinal, Saturday evening. Last time they played Hearts beat Rangers, but Rangers always beat his Hearts. It's, it's a real tough one. Both of them really want this cup. I think that's an easy choice. And Tynecastle under the lights. Oh. Beautiful. It will be an electric atmosphere, won't it? Yeah, definitely. Hearts, even when their team is at the absolute worst they can possibly be, the atmosphere is still brilliant, especially for games like that. And especially since Craig Levine moved on, I think we spoke about the atmosphere yeah. at Tincastle last week. Daniel Stenner said he loves the atmosphere at Tincastle, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, Craig Levine wasn't saying that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but exactly. He, there is, still seems to be some faith in this Hearts definitely. side under Daniel Stenner from um, mm -hmm. the Tincastle faithful, so yeah, it should be a great, yeah, a great occasion, that one. I've gone further afield, and it's not the game of the weekend but some people's games of the season mm -hmm. El Clasico takes place on Sunday evening at the Bernabeu Barcelona lead Real Madrid by two points at the top of the table at the moment they've both had shaky seasons they've both had their injury problems looking at Real first of all there's o only Karim Benzema has scored more than three league goals this season and you could say oh they're sharing the goals about there but I think that's sort of indicative of a lack of consistency not only in terms of performance of the players but also in terms of the players who are on the pitch I mean yeah, yeah. they've used a lot of players mm -hmm. this season and obviously we've just watched Real Madrid in the Champions League do you feel like they lack a, a bit of dynamism about them I mean it's quite clear that Kroos, Modric, Casemiro that's not going to fly anymore yeah, they tried yeah. Fede Valverde there on mm -hmm. um, on Wednesday night do you think that they just Real Madrid are lacking something these yeah, days. The, the yeah they're coming to an end of an era they're, they're coming to an end of a, a cycle and they just haven't got the players in yet to replace how do you re replace Tony Cruz Luka Modric and start an entire new system it's a really even for the, one of the biggest clubs in the world top three club in the world maybe even first in some people's eyes it's still really hard to rebuild a team like that it's, it's near impossible to lose in players like Ronaldo you bring in a player like Eden Hazard he struggled he's now injured long term probably brought in Luka Jovic from Germany he struggled as well you're still playing Benzema up top like you said he's the only player to score more than three goals this season 
it's it's really difficult to replace those players, and I think we're seeing it this season. And speaking of a lack of dynamism, that was long the criticism of Barcelona under Ernesto Valverde, and that's why they brought in a manager in Kiki Setien who understands the Barcelona philosophy and wants to play that attacking football. I think you saw that in the yeah. way they scored that goal against 100%. Napoli on yeah. on Tuesday evening. But he's also had his problems, and it's a, a lot of time it is down to injuries as well. I mean, they're without their first-choice fullbacks for this game. Sergio Roberto and Jordi Alba will both be missing. So it'll be Nelson Schmedo and Junior Furpo who'll be taking their positions. And I said earlier in the show that they were relying on Messi. He's, in fairness to... Um, to that Barcelona side, he is by far the best player in the league this season. 18 goals, yeah, 12 yeah. assists, leading on both Still those metrics. Unbelievable. Yep. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Barcelona do because it was a really narrow midfield on uh, Tuesday. It was uh, a narrow midfield of Vidal, Rakitic, Busquets, and Frankie de Jong. If they want to bring in some width, they might have Ansu Fati out there. Yeah. And another interesting option, and we've not actually had a chance to speak <laughs> about this show, is Martin Braithwaite, who mm-hmm. two goals. Off the bench last week. Oh, really? Sorry, two assists. Two assists. Two assists. Two assists. Two assists. Um, What do you make of that whole situation? It's just awful. I I don't get it. I don't understand how... What I don't get... I I can even slightly understand why Barcelona can go out and sign a new player. I think it should maybe be a loan deal or you should be able to sign a free agent, something like that. But okay, fair enough. But why can't Leganes then go and pick someone from somewhere else? How can you do that to a team? It makes no sense. Bewilders me. Sheer injustice. Oh, sheer injustice, absolutely. We'll always stand up for, absolutely. for the wee guys on this show. <laughs> uh, that's all from us this week. Um, do you want to say goodbye, Cameron? Goodbye. And I'll see you guys later. And if El Clasico doesn't happen, please don't blame me. Hear it. Feel it. Listen again at www.radioenrg.net. <laughs>